I'm Dan Walters. And I'm Anthony Peters. This is the No Ideas Podcast. Welcome to episode 14 of No Ideas. Today's episode is with Jim Stoughton. Um, he's an illustrator and artist living in Hastings on the south coast of the UK. So, as always, we met and took a nice train journey along the coast. It's a beautiful piece of coast. We got to Hastings, and as always, we had to find somewhere to eat. There's always a food story. We found a little cafe and had some uh, <laughs> scrambled eggs. And uh, Dan inquired about whether they had any hot sauce. And uh, what did the guy say? The chef came out and said, you've come to the right place, and he was... And there was a he, delicious... He made some hot homemade, well, a couple of different varieties, yeah, I think. fantastic. So we definitely had come to the right space. Uh, then we made our way up to Jim's. He lives in a, an amazing, um, well, top level of an amazing uh, Georgian mm. townhouse, right in the centre of Hastings, yeah. Old Hastings. It's got a great view out the window, isn't he, of a, like a sort of cliffside and a few rooftops. Yeah, it's it's stunning. And there's also uh, there's a rooftop where there's <laughs> there's seagulls. Jim tells us um, they bring all kinds of. Uh, Strange things, the rooftop. There's an old croc there. There's a, <laughs> That's a shoe, not a, yeah, not a, yeah, crocodile. Not a crocodile. That would be a, a bit too big for a And there was a, an enormous bone that yeah. one of them had... Uh, looked like a human femur. Somewhere. Yeah. We had a wander around Jim's studio. Um, he's got some amazing stuff in there. We looked through some of his sketchbooks, some of his prints. Yeah, there was some really cool stuff. He kind of arranged little things on the walls, hadn't he? And um, in particular, a couple of Laurel and Hardy... Kind of what, what were they like models like, or yeah walls or... statues yeah. things so Jim uh, made us a cup of tea while Ant was setting up the equipment um, and we had a chat about a large wooden cutout of Elvis that's in his lounge yeah it's from picked, a fun fair thank you picked it yeah. up from a yeah some kind of vintage vintage place um, had a little chat about kind of what he was up to yeah got to see an amazing project that he's been doing with Mike Perry yeah which was um, super cool. And then into the interview, yeah, which we covered so much stuff. We with did, Jim. yeah. Uh, his grandmother's black bitumen paint covered house. <laughs> um, the way he approaches composition, yeah, and like how he builds his drawings and like the reasons behind all the elements of it. Um, we also talked before the interview about his love of seventies chat shows, which yeah. isn't in this, but it's a be- it was a beautiful. Uh, kind of scene setter for us we have got it recorded so you never know it might make the light of day at some point for a christmas special yeah um there's a we covered a few serious issues yes jim's jim's talked about um some struggles with depression and which can be like massively insightful for anybody who might be going through the same definitely um and then after the interview um he took us over to visit his art space uh the hut which he mentions in the show um and we met his uh, studio mates Jay Cover and Ben Newman that he shares this space with. Yeah, we went out for a sneaky drink with yeah, them we as did. well. Um, the Hut's their studio, and then there's a, a small kind of venue next door where they recently had an exhibition. We got to see all the work they did for that, including some some of Jim's sort of push through paintings, which were quite mm. bizarre. Um, yeah, so all in all, uh, a, a long one, but a really good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Enjoy the show.
Jim Stoughton is an artist, illustrator and sometimes musician living and working from the seaside town of Hastings. He creates imaginative, dreamlike worlds full of narrative detail, comedy characters and animals. And his sketchbooks are a thing of legend. And as well as writing and illustrating books for publishers such as Nobrow, he's created music videos, artwork for MTV, Urban Outfitters, British Airways and Marmite. Welcome to the show, Jim. Thanks very much. Uh, do you like Marmite? Uh, yes. <laughs> Don't do now. <laughs> well, you get a lifetime supply of it. No, no, no. They, um, no. <laughs> no. I like um, veggie, Vegemite more. Vegemite is oh, really? amazing. Are you yeah. allowed to say that? Yeah, I'm allowed to say whatever I want. They don't own me. I just did some drugs for them. Australians brought Vegemite here. Oh, it's so they? good. I think different um, consistency. It's it like is. it's like butter. I might have to go back. Go back to try it again it's been a while much nicer design jar as well i think i have tried uh the new marmite peanut butter which is bizarre it's a bizarre thing addictive <sighs> like crack um <laughs> so there's another jim the illustrator that we came upon whilst researching for this oh really okay his name's jim jarvis do you oh, yeah. feel mad about the fact that he has the domain that should rightfully be yours is he is his um web domain jim the illustrator yeah.co.uk Jim, the Jim Jarvis. Yeah. Is it really? No, not that. It's a different Jim Jarvis. Even he's not even that. He's a very. Oh, I know that man. Yeah, not um, not that, not the good Jim Jarvis. Yeah, right. This um, guy is another. Hopefully, he never listens to this. <laughs> the other Jim. Yeah. The illustrator. I was going to say that's 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 amazing. Uh, yes. No, I know about this. So, um, Jim, the illustrator. Um, I used to call myself Jim, Jim, the illustrator. And then I stopped. Jim the Illustrator is dead, I put on Twitter. Nice. <laughs> Very definitive statement. Um, because, I don't know, when I graduated, it was like, it, you ha it, was be it seemed like it was good to have a moniker of mm -hmm. some kind. There's a lot of that going about. And then I just got fed up with it. I was just, just like, I got fed up of hearing it. So I sold, I, stopped, I, I had a, opened up a new website and called it Jim Stoughton, easy, and this guy like jumped in Straight on the in day. There. Yeah, he bought the old web domain. <laughs> he got like a notification or something. He, I, I no, it was like I just wanted to go back and check that my website wasn't with, on two web addresses right. after I'd set up this new one, and I went <laughs> back on the on the same day to check it was gone, and there he was. Blimey! Wow, the new Jim the Illustrator. I'm happy for him to have it but he has he does like he's one of those illustrators that you um, sometimes you get ads on YouTube that come up and saying do you want to learn how to yeah. wow mm, your friends yeah. with, with drawing <laughs> <laughs> does those yeah. sort of things which is yeah, quite strange tutorials and stuff on it I think yeah um, so can you tell us about your family life and where you grew up um, I grew up in Hemel Hempstead in Hertfordshire, which is a wow! It started raining as soon as I said Hemel Hempstead. <laughs> <laughs> That's appropriate. I'm just going to close this window. Amazing. Um, Hemel Hempstead in Hertfordshire. It's like a funny little um, town. If you Google, if you Google images, Hemel Hempstead. One of the first images that comes up is is a huge explosion <laughs> that <laughs> right, happened okay. at the at the BP oil refinery that was right. down the road from where I lived. 
and um, that's was that when you lived there? Uh, it, my parent, my mum was living there. My right. mum and stepdad oh, okay. were living there at the time. They said everything shook. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's. I haven't been there in a long time. I went there about probably about fifteen years ago, and I went into the uh, town centre, like a pretty generic, um, pedestrianised town centre with a Marlow shopping centre and all the rest of it. And on the corner of the co- at the corner of the entrance for the Marlow shopping centre. There was a, a friend of mine from school called Richard Hurst, right. who was um, a Harry Krishna, at giving out the Harry Krishna um, book Bible. Yeah, and um, that was weird because <laughs> I went to school with him, and right. it was, I hadn't been back in so long. What it was nice to meet up with him. We we hadn't seen him in ages, and he was telling me about this underwear that he has to wear as a as a Harry Krishna which is basically like a strip of ribbon that goes around your waist and then another strip that goes over it like a in a capital T shape and then you stri- you pull it up the the back right. pull it up really tight and tie it and it the idea is that it just cuts all blood flow off to your genitals and it helps you to control your impure thoughts right why me wow so i t- uh, so i took him into wh smith and showed him all of the Top row porn magazines. <laughs> <laughs> just like showing him stuff going, Any, anything happening? <laughs> um, trying to turn a Krishna. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not a Harry Krishna anymore. Since, Since then. No, no, no. I, so I, don't know if it, I don't know if it was a WH Smith industry. <laughs> um, no, my parents, so my mum and dad, um, my mum and dad separated when I was six um, and uh, mum remarried. Um, and me and my sister and mum and stepdad all lived in this sort of like council house in Hemel Hempstead, and um, <clears throat> and then we 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 moved around a lot. There was lots of like changing houses. We moved from one end of the street to the other end of the street once, from Amazing. one Clinton end to eleven Clinton end, which is right. or no, the other way around. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, and we went all over the place, and then. Um, all over the place in Hemel Hempstead. And then um, I went to university at Brighton. Uh, they moved again. My sister moved out, got her own flat. And then they, mum and stepdad just kind of one day announced they were moving to Cyprus. They just went and moved to Cyprus. So um, they separated recently, but they're both still living okay. in Cyprus. So I went to see mum a couple of weeks ago. Amazing. Living it up. Much nicer than going to Hemel Hempstead. Yeah, uh, well, it's weird because I don't, I don't, I don't. The the only thing that's that I miss about it is that I don't have a. When people say oh, I'm going to go home, I don't really have that. I don't really have mm. a home to go to. I go and see my mum in Cyprus, or, um, you know, my dad, my real dad, just moved to the Philippines, and I haven't seen, <laughs> I haven't right. seen, I haven't gone and seen where he lives. So, um, yeah, I miss that a bit, but. Um, yeah, mum's having a great time. I I had to send her a text when I landed, getting home. I said, "Oh, I'm, you know, I'm I'm home, mum. Don't worry." And I found myself writing, "I'm home, mum. Uh, thanks for letting me stay. Um, it's really good to see you happy. Um, take it easy on the drink driving and booty calls, <laughs> <laughs> because she is just ha- living like." A seventeen-year-old. Right. She's having so much fun, and it's drink driving's fine. 
booty calls are a regular thing, so I hear. Uh, yeah, it's just like, okay, cool, you're, you're having more fun than I am. That's <laughs> a lot of roundabouts and Hemel Hempstead. Yeah, there's a, there's a magic roundabout. You know, you know your Hemel Hempstead history. I lived in Luton for a little while. And we oh, used to go lovely over there, Luton. So, yeah, so we actually heard that explosion. Not heard it, but oh, our right. windows rattled. Right. It was about 5.30 in the morning, I think. It was early in the morning. And then it was all over the news that day. But, um, yeah, that whole part of the country is sort of a bit nowhere, isn't it? It is, yeah. Like, north of Watford, Watford. there's kind of not a lot between so there and... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Burkhamstead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's weird. A lot of footballers in Harpenden. Did you get on really, like, well with your folks or your mum growing up? Um, I had a strange experience of being young. I had I had a, a period of time from like seven till probably 17 where I was really, really on my own. No friends, kind of just really a, a, like a, a loner and, and very, very quiet, kept to myself, kept myself busy, drew all the time. And I didn't really talk to anyone. I just didn't really do anything or really like insular. And I was bullied a lot and really, un- really unpopular. <clears throat> and um, as soon as it got to where you do your A levels in school, there, there was there was a there was a rule in our school where you don't have to wear school uniform anymore, and you get this common room that you can all use. Mm. And it's you know so it's the same building. But it's a totally different experience of being a young person. And as soon as I was able to wear my own clothes and I grew my hair out. And I had I the same thing at my school. It was, I was just yeah. instantly popular. For, and it was so weird. And I hadn't done anything differently or I was just wearing different clothes. I was just yeah. expressing myself, wearing whatever I wanted. And um, yeah, that was a weird two years that was a bit of a shell shock and I went completely bonkers and lapped it all up and <laughs> you know <laughs> really I was like okay this is happening so too much drinking lots of experimenting with different uh, substances lots of girls like stealing my friends girlfriends like and just being like yeah well you didn't talk to me for 10 years so and she was nice to me so yeah <laughs> what are you gonna do about it just like and then I just became like an asshole. I think after that, eighteen to twenty-five, like just being a real uh, super confident, re- quite introverted still, mm. but really not a nice person. I don't think through university and um, so yeah, the weird. So I think it was a form I, of I revenge got, or something. I don't know. I, 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 it's not like I didn't get on with my parents, but. When I was living with them, it was, um, I think they have a different idea of what that whole period was like. Yeah. Looking back on it than I do. I think I was a bit of an actor. You mean you were, what, you were pretending things were a certain way, but you were feeling something different, you mean? Yeah, I think I was being good, showing that I was being good. Oh, okay. But sort of inside going, this is, this is actually, there's a lot here that's, that's, uh, is it wrong? I don't know. I don't, there's something that's making me uncomfortable. Like, like my stepdad used to. He had like two, two moods. He he had a, a mood where he was just really sort of quite angry and upset, <laughs> or he was really funny, and um, 
and everyone was kind of just used to it and mm. especially my mum she'd fallen in love with this guy you know and he, she obviously knew more about him than we did and my sister didn't really remember my real dad because she was too young she was three years younger than me so this was her dad mm-hmm. but I was like in this middle place where I remembered my dad wasn't seeing him knew that he was married again had kids and then there was this guy living in our house who was taking care of us and you know he was taking us on holiday and he's nice to my mum but he was just really I just found him difficult to be around right. and um, but I kept all of that in 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 check because I knew I knew that I could really make things difficult for everyone by expressing yeah. that um, so yeah there was a so I just distracted myself all the time with with drawing and making tapes and stuff like that. What what did your mum do? What was her passion? Um, her passion. I'm not sure. I don't okay. know what any. I, I I don't know what any of my parents' passions are. Okay. Wow. Okay. <laughs> um, because they. I don't think any of them went through higher education. I don't think. So. Maybe my dad did. I don't know. But then they they. They did this thing where they they got married very young. They had a kid. Then they had they had to like find a house, and it was all quite seat of the pants existence. And uh, so, did they have not really have time to develop that kind? No, of, okay. they, everyone was working jobs, making money, and you know that was there's no time to be yeah. thinking. Same with my mum. She, my dad left when I was like five. Mm. haven't seen them since and she was just working her ass off so I essentially brought up my younger brother but I just remember just a lot of stress and worry about money and my mum was working all the hours she could around our Do you story. actually remember it? Because because I, I've gone through this thing recently of realising now that that's what was going on. So the, it's curious what you said earlier because the way I remember it and the, th- the way I know now, it's like when you watch a film when you're younger and you don't get the innuendo jokes and you watch it now and you're like, oh. oh yeah. So right. it's kind of that kind of moment. Yeah. In the... Which really fucks you up. Oh, totally. Actually. Are you allowed to swear? <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It really fucks you up because you're... Because then... I've been through so much therapy. You're like, Jesus, I've lived this whole time with this one version of events that yeah. is not true. That's mm-hmm. not real. And then you, and then you're getting like all these other secrets that come out, yeah. and you're, and my parents are both really open and sort of gossipy and chatty and like too open, I think. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I find out all these other stories, and it's just like at a certain point, it's just I I I have to take a back. I'm the one that everyone talks to in my family. Yeah. Like my, okay. My, so I, they... I ask my sister for advice now. Okay. Because she's great, but yeah, my my sister, my mum dad like my sister doesn't really get on with them the way that I do and I don't know it's, re- it's families are complicated yeah, yeah it's I mean especially during that era I don't know it felt like there was a lot of families breaking up and people just trying to make ends meet and it, I don't know well maybe that was just my experience of it all but I think as a kid you can feel what's happening in a in a family or emotionally with the people around you without being able to put it into words and that's one of those things i remember feeling certain things i couldn't explain mm. like sadness from my mom we, we had a I had a stepdad for a little while 
and you, they would argue downstairs, not too badly, mm. but you, there was just a, a feeling in the house right. that shifted, and it was more than what you could explain. So that, that's what I was going to. That's what I was going to say uh, before that I went on to some other tangent. I realised recently that I have this thing of I'm quite sort of protective of my space, and my girlfriend was staying here for a week, and I was sitting here drawing and I could hear her like walking about because she's a human being <laughs> she's, <laughs> she's allowed to do that you know? but in, inside I was, fe- I, I was feeling like tense just with the sound of someone else walking about and I totally realised that that was because I would spend time I was scared in my bedroom I was scared of what was going on outside of my bedroom and I knew that there was going to be all of this atmosphere, we were going to have dinner, like there was an argument that had happened, it was all unresolved, and maybe I was going to get shouted at. But, like, I used to get shouted at for not having friends. And my, my stepdad would go, why are you in your room? This is, it's the summer holiday, mm. go, I go out and play. And I'd go, I go, I haven't got anyone to play with. And he'd, and he'd go, go and knock on people's doors and ask them to play. So I, I would, I'd just go over to all these people's houses who bully me at school and go hello sort of makes can, it I, worse, can it? I come in and they go no fuck <laughs> off gay boy and then I'd just slam the door and then I'd be like okay I'll go and see Tom Potter and see what no get what are you doing here no so then I'd just go and sit in the park and I used to do this thing where I'd like tie a coke can to a stick and pretend to be like fishing for aliens in the sky just like what waving a coke can in the air sitting right. on top of a slide until it got a little bit dark and then I knew I could go home and say oh yeah we all had a great time <laughs> <laughs> so it was scary man it was tense yeah, yeah. really tense so is that something happening alongside what you're focusing on it that's like an old emotion yeah I'm that's still I'm like still figuring back. all of this stuff out yeah, yeah. It's, wow. it's, there's a lot of it fuck yeah I guess you couldn't, it would take you your whole life again to actually go through all those moments and work out how they've affected you. But yeah. I guess yeah. it's those years in particular, those those first sort of 10 years, 10, 11 years tops. Yeah, and it's so strange because they're, when I talk to my girlfriend about this, she has she grew up in Venice, you know, and her parents are super, both artists, really right. cool people, you know, lovely to be around. And when I talk about this stuff, that's kind of what's, made me realize oh yeah this is actually quite quite unusual her reaction to it is sort of sadness and confusion Mm. and anger on my behalf Mm -hmm. and then I just think yeah okay I mean they were doing their best and uh, but I you have no control over those years of your life which is so strange because they're the foundation for the rest of your life it's how unfair and fucking mad is that yeah <laughs> you just yeah, can't yeah. get on with it and it's it's really intense if there's if there's stuff i can't even imagine what it must be like to have a really bad childhood you know mm, where you're yeah, being like, like yeah. abused and yeah. can, can you imagine what that yeah. must be like to like come out of that and then learn how to be a human properly after i just how to get on with other people that were brought up in a more regular right yeah it's, it's that have you seen that film um is it called busby the bear have you seen that no, film, no. But Hucks Be the Bear? It's so good. It's about a guy. It's a comedy. It's about a guy who um, 
he grows up, his parents sort of keep him in in the house all the time and tell him that the outside world is evil. And he, he watches this TV show called Busby the Bear. And Busby the Bear it just teaches him everything about life that he needs to know. And then it cuts to him being 28 and still being completely, you know, fed the world by Busby the Bear and his parents keeping him inside. And then he... Um, it, it transpires that his parents uh, were basically completely insane, making this TV show for him, um, wow. and and keeping him trapped in this underground cellar. Right, and and so he comes out and he's like, "Oh, my God! There's the rest of the world," and uh, it's so nice to meet you. Who who watches Busby the Bear? And they're like, "What's that? <laughs> no one else has seen it. Uh, yeah, he's yeah. the only one that's seen it." So then he starts making friends and making this. They make, he's like, Busby the Bear, you know, and they're like, well, what is that? So they make Busby the Bear in, in real life, and he sort of, that's his way of integrating oh, with okay. the real world. Amazing. It's such a good film. I want to have to watch that. Yeah, it's really, really funny. Yeah, so uh, as a kid, uh, what were your favourite cartoons and music? Have you got any memories of that? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so TV was big, and I, I, would, I would just sit and absorb it all um Roland Rat, He Man oh, Classic, I forgot oh, about Roland Rat. Rat. <laughs> Day. Oh. Um Were you drawing characters yeah. from that at this point? Yeah. yeah. And Laurel and Hardy, I was absolutely obsessed right. with Laurel and Hardy. I don't okay. know how I got access to those films, but they were there were some VH VHS tapes of Laurel yeah. and Hardy films that I used to watch over and over and over again. I sort of remember that from the eighties as well, just stuff like that being around I on the know. TV, like yeah, Sunday afternoons. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I used to like watching the snooker, the Smurfs, Smurfs, Thundercats, Mask, yeah. Mask. I used to have um, the figures. They were yeah, amazing. The Centurions, oh. uh, Ulysses in the City of Gold. Oh, yeah, I was just about to say Ulysses. all of that oh, stuff. Dogtanian, yeah, Dogtanian, yeah. And you were drawing all of these. Count Ducula. Count Ducula. It was all like. <laughs> Oh. It was all. It was all going in. Yeah, I wasn't. I don't really know what I was drawing. I was sort of drawing. Uh, I I used to draw Laurel and Hardy all the time right. when I was really really young. I used to draw them all the time, just like a circle with eyes and a line with legs. That's Amazing. Laurel and Hardy. Okay. <laughs> wow. Um, and then they, I actually had them as imaginary friends on my shoulders as well. Laurel on one shoulder, Hardy on the right. other. And when I told my grandma that, she got me two little beanbag Laura and Hardy figures, and I based and I kind of like sellotaped them to my shoulders because they were tiny. They're like I'm doing this. What, They're like two about inches. Two, yeah, <laughs> two inches tall, and I sellotaped them both to my shoulders, so I, I couldn't see it. But and in my child mind, I was sellotaping them sitting sitting up, mm, but yeah. actually I just sellotaped them belly down. <laughs> <laughs> so they look like weird epaulets, <laughs> two little things there. I walk around with them on my shoulders. Um, she got you the, we've already seen them, two yeah. wall-based sort of statuettes, or I don't know what you would call them, yeah. um, in your studio. Yeah. Um, your grandma bought you those as yeah. well. Were you close to your grandma then? We used to go. Um, we so my dad's parents live or lived. They're both dead now. Up north in um, Darlington. Okay. And uh, yeah, me and my sister would get put on a bus 
and just drive up the country. So that that was, oh God, that was scary. It's just like, where are we going? Like, I don't know where we're going. Um, my grandma was. Oh man, she was mad. She. Um, <laughs> so. Um, she. So she. Um, she had. I've told this story so many times, but every time I tell it, I'm just. It just gets weirder and weirder the more. I, <laughs> she had this thing in her. Ha- she had a big, big house, and um, she. She had all of these ideas. She one of these ideas that she had was that she was absolutely terrified of damp. Okay. In her house, and she had heard about um, bitumen paint that 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 sort of is damp proofing for mm. for roofs and stuff, and. A twist, a simple twist of logic led her then to paint the entire inside of her house with just black paint. So all of the walls were black, all of the ceiling was black. In every room except the kitchen and the bathroom where That's damp is. <laughs> and then she also had, so all the bedrooms, all the hallway, all black. And then she also had this concrete path that led up to her house which she painted red uh, to sort of emulate a red carpet she thought that it would <laughs> elevate amazing. her status I love it but the, but the overall impression of it for me and my sister being kids was that you're walking down Satan's tongue into Satan's head <laughs> into Satan's black head just like the strangest experience yeah. kind of getting off a bus and going into this house of doom and she would <laughs> she was a nice woman but uh, she would when you got off the bus she'd say are you hungry Ch- constantly smoking chain smoking and you'd go yeah and uh, she would she'd give you two she'd give you she'd give me and my sister a saucer each like a cup and saucer a saucer and then on the saucer would go three fish fingers and then out the cupboard would come a bottle of a glass bottle of ketchup with no ketchup in it, all of the, all of the ke- like an empty bottle, but there was remnants of ketchup on the on the glass on the inside. Mm. So to get that off, she would pour milk into the ketchup bottle, put her cigarette-stained hand over the top, and shake it like that, and then she just pour pink milk over <laughs> over over three fish fingers in a saucer and give you a teaspoon, and that was that was dinner. Wow! So like, well-intentioned, really nice woman. But sort of bonkers, really yeah, quite yeah. bonkers. Um, but I love that when you. But she was great yeah. when you talked about the Laurel and Hardy. Yeah. Instead of telling you not to be so ridiculous or anything right. like that, she got you. That's why a, she was great. That's amazing. She she she, she knew what we were both into. Um, and she yeah she sent things in the post. She sent me like postcards of Laurel and Hardy and um, my granddad was all my grandparents would. So Laurel and Hardy was big. Um, sometimes I would watch things and they would just completely take over my mind mm. like I would just get completely obsessed with films or TV shows and the one that I remember the most was um, the film that was called Young Einstein that starred a, an Australian guy called Yahoo Serious yeah, and he was a rock, he had an electric guitar that he had made himself this was, it was so strange nothing to do with Einstein right. <laughs> But it's a really weird film, and I watched it so many times. Have you watched it since? No, it's one of those ones that I'm scared to watch. Do you not it. want to go back? Yeah. <laughs> and I was just really obsessed with this. Um, 
electric guitar that he made for himself because it were, it had no no cover on it. All you could see was like circuitry and bits of wire, Amazing. and it was like it was bonk, like mm. the like that like the back of the Ghostbusters car with all the machines yeah. on it, or the yeah. or the back or the DeLorean where yes. you can see all the yeah, machinery. Yeah. There's something about that. that and um, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Oh, there was mm. something about that laser yeah. where you could see all the machinery. Yeah. So it works. Short circuit. I just oh. loved all that stuff. Oh. So I started writing these um, scientific journals <laughs> that would use words like gigajoules and and make like equations that were it just it nonsense, but mm. it just sounded right. And then I made a um, there was this stuff called constructs, which was like tiny plastic girders essentially like iron girders tiny plastic ones with blue um connecting pieces right so you could make structures like buildings it's not really designed for guitars because there's no there's no like <laughs> there's no like um there's no wall material it's just the architectural structure yeah. that you make constructs yeah but i made a guitar out of this um stuff amazing uh, on the floor. How old were you when you did this? Probably about nine. Right. Eight or nine. When I tried to pick it up, it just <laughs> fell apart. So I had to make it again. Play it on the floor. Yeah. And then I sellotaped it all together. <laughs> so, it, so it would stay. Yeah. And then I put a belt on it so that I could wear it. And then I walked around the council estate <laughs> with this sort of wobbly, weird electric guitar just in my mind. Just I, I'm... I'm yeah, you serious? <laughs> this is this is it. Oh, no, look at my electric guitar. Just like hours of walking around. Have you got any thing. pictures of it? No, no. Different time, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> that's what. Such a shame. Yeah. That's why I also love that you were talking about how, when you're a kid, you think you know the way things are, and then when you're a grown up, you see them differently. It's the same with creative stuff. So sometimes. My kids will make something, and in their mind, absolutely it's fully yeah, yeah. professional, yep. the most amazing thing. You could have bought this off a, off a shelf mm, in yeah. Toys R Us or something. But to us, and if you're, if you're of the right state of mind, you know to say, that's amazing. Yeah, It looks like you just bought it from the shop or something like that. Um, but it's amazing, I remember now, some of the things I've seen from my mum's loft, that I thought were like perfect comic books or something yeah. like this. And you see them now, you're like... So, so I, I don't think I've ever lost that. I, 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 I think that anything that I make, still, yeah, is like, is I'm actually trying to, I'm trying to work against it now because I have to, I sort of have to, take a step back and go, it's just, it's just a painting or it's just a drawing. So I'm trying to like do that all the time, but I think while I'm working on it, while I'm actually working on it. It's the same sort of process of making a guitar out of constructs. Like, it, it makes absolutely no sense. But in your mind, you're building something which is functional and perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and then when you come out, that's the bit that's different. When you when you take when you come out of that zone and then you look at it, then you can critically judge yeah. it and think about what it actually is. That's the bit you don't have. When but you're isn't a kid. that sad though? Because that's bringing the purpose into creativity. Because if you make something and it makes you happy, mm. it's fulfilled its primary function. It's just that that other bit where we then have to judge it by some criteria that ruins the enjoyment sometimes. Well, you, don't always, you don't always talk. I don't in my sketchbook and I don't when I'm in the hut. I don't ever, I don't ever pull back. But I, yeah. that's what I'm saying. I, 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 I've sort of worked hard on, 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 on sort of controlling the, the decision to pull back or 
just stay in that zone. Okay, so you can control that state of mind. That's really, that's really good. I mean, I probably would quite like to live in a delusional state of mind my whole time. I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. It is a a sort of... It doesn't mean that the work's not incredible. (laughs) It just means that it's much better for your... That's your relationship with the thing you've made... It stops and the inner not voices. letting anything else come in between you yeah. and that thing. And that's beautiful. It, it stops you in a critic. You're not. You're basically not allowing it time to judge what you've just yeah. made. because because it's not important enough. That's a, that's a, it's sort of like a it's a weird reflexive thing that you only start judging something when it is important enough to be judged. If that's it's true. not if it's not important, then there's no need to judge it. It's just it just it exists. Just as, yeah, that's. And I didn't mean the um, delusional thing as a... That's how I genuinely would like to live, where it's like, this is the thing I made, I made it, it exists, I'm happy. Yeah. And then to not have that moment where you slate it or it then makes you feel bad after making you feel good. Mm. Um, so what's your earliest creative memory? Well, that's... Do you mean actually doing, make drawing the thing? Yeah, or just the first time you remember drawing or the first thing you drew that somebody said, wow, that's amazing, that logged it in your memory. They're, right, so they're different, um, they're different answers. Okay. The first thing I remember drawing was one of the uh, shoe people. Oh, shoe people. <laughs> shoe people. Yeah. Uh, it was the clown one. Okay. That's the first thing I remember drawing. I did it. I, so I used to have these. I used to. Um, my mum used to give me ring folders um, with like printer paper in them. You mm. know, the printer paper yeah. with all the holes yeah. down the side. Yeah, the matrix had, paper. Or yeah, it yeah. had like green and it's white. Like, yeah. 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 Amazing paper. Yeah. It would just. It would be like quantitative. Yeah. yeah. So I, she used to give me ring ring folders and printer paper, and I used to draw all the time on this printer paper, and I would. Um, like unfurl the whole sheet yeah. of printer paper. I was just going to ask, did off. you separate it? Yeah, t- t- tore it all off, put them all in a ring folder, and then I make collections of drawings in ring folders, so right. like shoe people. There was a, there was another one which I, after I watched um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, I, um, I kind of got really obsessed by the tiny bit in the film where Bob Hoskins has a cartoon gun. Oh yeah, and he amazing. opens up the case and there's all these cartoon bullets, like cowboys and Indian yeah. bullets, and he loads them all into the gun. <laughs> and I started drawing um, all these celebrities as bullets. Oh, fucking amazing! <laughs> They'd just be looking right at you <laughs> with their arms by their side, and they would have no legs and like bullet bullets for legs. And I had a whole folder of those. Do you remember which any of celebrities that you chose? I chose the strangest um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, <laughs> but then there was also like a celebrity that I didn't know the name of that I kind of know the name of now. I think he's called Peter something. He is is in he's in old black and white films, uh, and he talked like this. He's a kind of a a ghoulish character, right. and he had like big bags under his eyes and. Peter something and I only know knew about him because uh, there was a cartoon version of him in some Bugs Bunny cartoons oh, yes. and he had like green yeah. skin yeah and uh, so I did one of him even though <laughs> I didn't know who he was <laughs> um, yeah all sorts I did all sorts of uh, celebrities like that um, yeah I don't know I just I just kind of saw 
sort of quite strange, I suppose. I saw things, but didn't copy them. I sort of immediately did something that was similar. Okay. Um, so you sort of learned from it and built it into something that you were doing that was a bit more. Yeah, and it was almost like it was almost like I could. It was almost like I was constantly frustrated. I had the same thing with music now, where. And I don't look at um, I don't look at en- uh, uh, in- uh, art. I don't look at um, I don't look at illustration. Sorry, I look at art all the time. And I don't really listen to music, but it's like I think this thing has always been with me. Like there's a constant you. There's definitely things I like, and I and I am drawn to the things I like. And there are things that I absolutely love that I keep and I rewatch or I re-listen to. I mean, my iPod is. It's been the same iPod. <laughs> you know, the music on my phone has been the same for about ten years. I did. I don't need to change it because it's like my favourite. Yeah. Uh, same with films. Same with books, comics. But but it's always like a slight frustration that anything else out there that I sort of kind of like but not really. I just think it can. It could be better. <laughs> and yeah. I want to mm. do like a version. Mm. I like that song, but I don't like this bit in it, so I'm not going to listen to it anymore. I'm just going to do my own version of it <laughs> with, <laughs> with that bit, bit changed. Yeah. yeah. So, like, it, I work from my memory a lot. Like, I, especially when I'm making music, if, it, if there's, if there's like, if I feel like I want to listen to a, there's a song that I want to listen to, what's it sort of like? Well, it's a little bit like a beat band, and then there's this bit from, there's this bit from, like, um, you know, um, some blur song or like there's all these little bits and pieces that I like from other music, but it's not, it's not, there's never been put together. Yeah. And then it's just a process of making something that is that. I mean, what you've just described is there's a book that I've referenced quite a lot about how to come up with ideas. It was written by an ad man in the 50s, and it's that idea of uh, an idea is an evolution of other things that you've taken in. And then you've created your own sort of um, extension of that thing. So it's the same thing. I think that's how ideas happen is by taking in lots of stuff and then it going through you as a filter and then you making something new out of that knowledge that you've gained from that. So that's quite fascinating. It's a really enjoyable process as well because it means that... um, you're, you're, if, the, if the ingredients are right, whatever you end up making is going to be satisfying for you at least. Um, Which is similar to what you that. mentioned with the drawing. It's like if it's for you initially, mm. then you've not got that crippling side of it where you're thinking about how someone else is going to receive it. You're just thinking you're building it to satisfy your own right. sort of need for something to exist. Like the, that. the downside is that when if you if you have to if you sort of cult, cultivate that frame of mind enough and then you have to do that but for a client and a brief that you're totally not interested in then the, the the that process is really difficult actually because you're not all of those avenues of interest and sort of joy are immediately shut down yeah. and then you're sort of frantically scurrying around against the clock thinking of the money just trying to make something that they're happy with which I find I'm doing a lot but at the same time if I if I wasn't doing that, that I mean that's there is something satisfying to that because while you're spending all of that time 
frustrated and nervous and kind of envisaging the 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 quality of everything else you've ever made being tainted by this piece of horseshit that you're doing for some <laughs> client. You're, it's all bubbling up underneath. It's like it's bubbling, it's bubbling away. And then once that project is finished, you just go and do the thing that you actually wanted to Amazing. do. And it's like, and that, and then you show that, and then you get more work from clients mm. who go, "Oh, we love that." Can you do it? <laughs> you know, it seems like a constant cycle of that sort of thing, which I it's quite good that enjoy. you use that that tenseness that you get whilst making the client work that you can use that energy elsewhere that's that's amazing this month's podcast is in association with arts emergency an award-winning mentoring charity and network helping marginalized young people access higher education and work in the creative and cultural industries we firmly believe that if you're able to share your skills and knowledge with people less fortunate than yourself, then you should. The current cost of education is prohibitive for people of certain backgrounds, and this means that many young people aren't able to pursue their dreams. If you feel you can make a difference and help a young person get a foot in the door in the creative and cultural industries, go to arts-emergency.org and sign up to be a mentor or elect to be part of their network. You won't regret it. Now, back to the show. So you studied at Brighton? Yeah. Do you study illustration? Yeah. Can you tell us a bit about your time at Brighton or your time at uni? Um, yes. <laughs> uh, studying at Brighton was really brilliant. Um, I didn't understand this. It's such a, it was three years, so it's such an intense, it's so weird. The, the, the amount of the amount of power that hindsight has in my head <laughs> it's just it's terrifying because t- especially teaching there i can to- i can absolutely remember what it was like to be a student there all of the I- ideas i had in my head <laughs> about <laughs> about who i am uh my own self-importance. I I was absolutely convinced that I was a genius. I was high as a kite most of the time. <laughs> um, I wasn't particularly social. I ha- hung out with two or three people all the time, and I liked people, but I just didn't really. I wasn't the same as them. I could tell that there. A lot of the people in my year, and they were all brilliant. I and I'm in touch with a few of them still but they really understood that university was about having fun okay and I just did not understand that at all I thought university was about showing as many people that you could that it was extremely easy for you to be a genius okay you could be a genius without trying that's what I thought (laughs) university was for I, I would my whole the whole point of me being there was to go I, I need everyone to acknowledge how brilliant I am and how easy it is for me to be brilliant. I was I was an absolute wreck, just a real fuck up, really messed up, angry, frustrated, um, all all wrong, just all wrong. Um, oh man, getting a little bit emotional. <laughs> 
because the, because the friends that I've got now, I think I'm really lucky to have the friends that I have now from that time. Are they I, friends from uni? The yeah. Friends that you still. Yeah. Okay. And because um, I didn't treat I didn't treat them very well at all. It was, it was just really weird. And uh, I didn't follow briefs, and uh, I didn't listen to my tutors, and I just kind of just. Um, I drew things. I made a lot of animations. I made some films. I've still got them all now, and they are extremely poor. <laughs> <laughs> the animations. Yeah. Yeah. But it was fun, though. It was really... I'd never animated before. It was all stop-frame stuff, and just the process of, like, moving things an inch, and then you've got so much time to... to decide what's going to happen next and where this thing is going and how it's going to evolve and and then I you know started one of my tutors said I should watch Monty Python I was like but I tra- <laughs> you know I watched it I was like oh okay I understand and then like the animations in that I could see were just really brilliant ways of tying together two things that do not go together mm-hmm. You know, I could see that when I watched it. It's, it's like these animations are a bridge because they don't know how to end one thing, yeah, and they don't know how to start another thing. So they just put this weird animation in between. <laughs> That's amazing. So then I started thinking about animations and drawings in that way, like putting two things together that don't go together. And then, um, and then I had to graduate. Because, you know, that's about as far as I'd gotten with, with my learning. I really didn't use the opportunity at all. And then after um, university, I had, a, I had a breakdown. I spent a year in the bath, um, eating and smoking. And um, I had like four baths a day. I had a, I had a strange setup with mirrors. So I had, a, I had a room that had an ensuite bathroom. I would sit in the bath and then I would there's a mirror in front of me and then I could see in that mirror a mirror behind me and in that mirror was the TV in the in the bedroom so I could watch the TV from the bath using two mirrors and I would just eat pasta and smoke weed in the bath all day (laughs) that's all I did for a year Wow. Was this, is this? I was just scared. I was just like, yeah, yeah. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I've learned. I, I, I'm, I haven't got friends the way that I thought I'd have. My uh, was this directly after uni? Yeah, right. Yeah, it was a diff- really difficult year, and I had a proper meltdown. Is this what the the sad beast? work is about or is that no that's another one okay. of those we're, periods of time we're gonna, we're gonna ask, <laughs> ask you uh, about that do you think the weed was i mean i smoked a lot of weed at uni as well hopefully mm. my kids won't listen to this for a few years yeah um and do you think it made things worse or helped or i don't know i mean i i definitely don't think it made things better i don't know if it made things any worse i think i think i probably would have had some kind of um, reality flip experience yeah. anyway. Like, yeah. it, it was all, I mean, I was just primed, like, all of my experiences leading up to that point were, it's just, it, you know, it was all, it was all ready. It was all yeah. going to happen. Yeah. And it, it just happened at the end of the last comfort zone. 
university yeah. real life is right after that yeah. isn't and it? I was not aware of that at all it was well, just got a last bubble burst and then, and then I was like oh okay did you stay in Brighton? I stayed in Brighton for a year then I moved to London um, with some people who were in the year below me Who so when they graduated I moved into a house with them in London and that was absolutely amazing brilliant people um, we made films all the time in the kitchen and we played chess and we went for picnics and we'd smoke and drink and laugh and it was just amazing um, and I met uh, Mike Perry you know Mike, Mike yeah, Perry yeah he's him. on American list oh great yeah. uh, he's one of my favourite humans met him when I was living in that house he came to visit one of my um, housemates at the time Matilda and uh, we met there just clicked and have been like brothers ever since um, that was really brilliant. Um, was it an antidote? Do you think after that period of I think the I just, reality check and the that year of sort of self-loathing, or I don't know what you would call it, I, I, I come immediately after that time yeah, of Brighton. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think I realised I need to. I need to. There's a lot about myself. I need to change. I need to be nicer to people. I need to care about people I really just didn't give a fuck I was really lost I, I, I didn't know it at the time of course but looking back it's that's what I mean hindsight what it's wow it's like there's there's a lot there um yeah and then I stayed in London for a bit um but the the sad beast thing <laughs> is another period of time I moved around a lot you know renting flats and mm. it was pretty um it was fun, but hard and looking back. Meeting people and going out into events and trying to get my career off the ground and trying to like do work that I liked, that I thought might be useful, and that was just impossible. It took me like seven years after university. Really, just to try and find your feet, is it? Yeah. yeah. It took me seven years to get it, get it in the right place. And then the... This, the, the 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 sad beast thing, which is a comic strip that I made when I was uh, going through another serious bout of depression, was um, something different. It was like, oh, I am okay, so I'm doing well now. I'm actually making some money from my work and doing a book. I did Mr. Tweed's Good Deeds, and then I did another book with Mr. Tweed, and it was really, really labour intensive. It was my idea. I'd pitched the idea to No Brow. It was all like it should have been perfect, but for some reason, I was getting really stressed, really bogged down, and it was because that's all I was doing. I was literally just waking up, making coffee, drawing, 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 going to bed, waking up, maybe having a little cry. Doing the same thing, just over yeah. and over and over and over, and just compelled by some insatiable need to be rich and famous and successful, and again to make it seem effortless. And and I just yeah snapped again. I just had another like oh god, this is this is awful. I'm so sad, and uh, and I got a girlfriend, and she's like doesn't understand and she's she wants to go on holiday 
I can't go on holiday. No, we've got. I've got to work. You know, it's just all wrong. All the priorities were mm. wrong. And I'm not saying I've got this fixed. I'm still working on this mm. stuff. But it's. It just seems like when you when I hit a point where I go, oh, I'm not doing enough. That's when I need to take a break, and I'm starting to learn how to do that now. And that's why the hut's so important, the studio. Mm-hmm. But the my my gut instinct is to go work more. Then, you know, work more. Yeah, I'm the same. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just working really, that stuff out it's now too. Really dangerous. Yeah. Is there um, is there anywhere online we can point people to to see the the sad beast work? No, because it um, it's sort of a work in progress. Okay. So I'm still working on it. it it's a, it's a character that at, at the very beginning he starts. It starts with him realizing that he's depressed when he has to make more coffee because his coffee's run out and um, he can't put the kettle under the faucet of the sink because all of his washing, uh, all the dirty plates and bowls are in his sink and he can't fit the kettle underneath, on over the top of them under the tap. So he just goes and fills the uh, kettle up in the shower um, and has a shower at the same time there's all those sorts of things that are they're real mm. like they I did them <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and then like he goes to the pub and he has a he hasn't got any money and his friends are talking and then he's he's like retreating and then um and then he goes he sort of sneaks out to sort of go back home to be on his own and he gets attacked by a lion you know it's just like that didn't happen but <laughs> <laughs> the, but the crippling yeah, yeah. it just felt like oh I'm such a coward like, I, I, why am I going back home what am I going to do there just cry like you know it's the ones the frames that I have seen there's a frame where there's a party going on outside the yeah. world is happening almost yeah. and you're inside your room looking yeah. out this party's happening and then this smiley balloon floats up and sits outside your window it's yeah. almost like the happiness goading you or something yeah I'm that's not, right and uh, I don't know, there's something just so beautiful in its depiction, but once people know, I think it's so massively relatable to anybody that's ever been in that right. sort of scenario. So, I don't know, it's, yeah. It, it's still going on because because the, the, the what, what happened after that was that I, my girlfriend is still with me somehow. <laughs> I've put her through so much. But um, it, while I was in that flat, she got a um, uh, a residency in Colombia. She's an she's an artist and illustrator too, and she went to Colombia for six months to do this residency, and um, and it was a really long time. And three months in, I said, "Look, I I think we either need to split up." because I, I'm really lonely and going through something here and I'm sort of, yeah. Uh, or I need to come out to be with you. Can I come to Colombia for three months? And she said, well, yeah, come. So I, um, I quit my flat. I quit both my teaching jobs. I was working at Camberwell. I took a, sorry, I, I quit working at Camberwell I took a sabbatical from Brighton. I put everything that I own into a storage unit that ended up staying there for three years. And I went to Columbia with no plan because it seemed like I've got to do something. Mm. I, I, you were I'm, stuck. Yeah, I really was stuck, yeah. 
so I just went there and had panic attacks and uh, <laughs> it was not easy. <laughs> well, when you got there. Yeah, yeah, I had lots of panic attacks and was constantly thinking, what the fuck am I doing? This is, this is madness. Um, did it help? Uh, in hindsight, I think it did, but at the time it was, it was, it sort of compounded the problem because now I'm supposed to be on holiday, we're supposed to be enjoying each other, but I'm still anxious, desperate to move forward in my career and uh, there's no Wi-Fi, you know, we're in the jungle. <laughs> someone's, someone's offering us ayahuasca and, uh, you know. Was... Did you do ayahuasca? No, we're really close. Yeah, um, my friend Ed's done it, he said it was pretty unbelievable yeah but I'm a bit scared of it personally yeah me too um you have mentioned in um a god talk that you um were prescribed antidepressants was this around the sad beast time no there was another another period here um where I went I just went to bed and stayed in bed for ages because I just couldn't figure out what was going on what I was supposed to do and my girlfriend was in Australia that time working on murals and I, I, yeah, I just, I had to do something. Um, so I just went to the doctor and I just said, help, <laughs> help me. I'm going completely mad. I need something. And, um, yeah, they prescribed, uh, they're over there. They're amazing. I take, I take one every day and it's just like, it makes me sad because now I, now I feel like I know what it's like to be a normal human being. These, they're just a tiny, tiny dose, 10 milligrams of something called escitalopram. And it just like, the first day I took it, I, I was it, I put it in my mouth and I was really excited and then I went and had a shower. And I was going through this period of time where part of my daily routine was to stand in the shower and just worry about what the day to come was. Mm-hmm. And just imagine that, I'm going to be in bed again soon and there's no point and then I'd start thinking about killing myself and what it would be like and how could I do it and and then I'd like distract myself and get on with work and then be frustrated because I'm still it's just like fucking this is horseshit this is mm-hmm. horrible um, and the first day I got in the shower and I was like okay ready for the routine to start and I literally had this really weird image in my mind and almost like a feeling of these pipes of water being like cut off and forced to diverge into new directions. Right. And then I was like, oh, I can't, I can't actually do what I'm used to do. My mind will not allow me to do that routine. I, I can't concentrate on it because now I want to go and do, I, I want to go and do a painting or something. So it's just like, what? whoa <laughs> yeah um and then that started happening in social occasions as well like but talk i ne- never talked as much as i do now before but seeing other people's reactions and like making them laugh and seeing people interested like see i can see now that you're in that just makes me want to continue maybe right, i should maybe stop <laughs> but but i just i don't know there's all these little things that yeah. i definitely missed out on for 38 years and I'm so happy that I um, did something about it Um, and I would totally say to anyone who's suffering with any kind of depression do something about it because Mm. 
doesn't feel like it can be fixed and it feels like that's your lot and you know you just got to deal with it mm. but it's just not true and um there are some some people find it easier to i think i've been lucky the first pill that i was diagnosed works um it might not be that easy for everyone but it's definitely worth the effort because yeah no it uh, this is what a normal person is like it, i just needed some help so it would have been great back when you were at uni or well that's sort of that's why it's kind of difficult now to be teaching people who there are so many students we get who have problems with depression or ADHD or Asperger's or um and it's really yeah it's hard because you sit down and you talk to them and they're like oh it's like you know I feel hopeless and there's no point and I don't know how and you're like yeah I know I get it but you can you know you can do something about it so yeah but I've got to go to the doctor so you hear them making this list out loud of things like I've got to go to the doctor and talk to a doctor and tell the doctor that's one thing on a list like go to the doctor (laughs) (laughs) and then they're just putting out the minutiae because they're nervous to do because they're depressed their brains they're creating the reason why they shouldn't go yeah right their brains are just against them I had a really difficult conversation with my real dad when he came over to he said um, so you're depressed and uh, I went yeah yeah I'm pretty I, well I'm not but I'm like a like a I am a depressive person I know that I have to keep a track of it mm. and he said um, you know it's a choice and uh. I went would you it's a, it's a choice and he went yeah you're choosing to be like depressed and I went no dad doesn't work like that and and like ordinarily, before the pills, I would have been f- furious and probably started up a huge thing and maybe even stormed out or something. Mm. But I, I just sort of went, I, you know, it just it didn't matter. I was yeah. like, you don't get it. That's okay. It's a generational thing, though, isn't it? Is, it? So we were, when we were younger, it was like things like that don't exist. Mm. But we really understand the human mind so much more. Mm now and we're all a lot more sympathetic or a lot more understanding that there's no such thing as normal every person is experiencing their day in a different way mm. and while some people might be seemingly massively confident on the underside like this like introvert extrovert thing as well they might it might take a lot of energy just to get out there in the world yeah and it's more I don't likely know. in fact that it probably does and uh, I, I think from his generation it's more along the lines of it, it's an incredibly self-indulgent you know it's, it, it looks from the outside to be self-indulgent and sort of n- needing sympathy from other people which I can understand it, that it must look like that but that's not what it is no yeah, it's real real folks <laughs> <laughs> what crappy do- jobs did you do to pay the bills while oh you were at uni oh my god <laughs> <laughs> oh boy um, well, there were two. I always got the sack from every from every job I ever had. I always got the sack, um, and that's kind. Of, I think that's a lot of the reason why I decided not to get a job when I left university in a design firm or a advertising thing, or just didn't have a good experience of employers. And I worked at home base. Um, got the sack for um, um, we we made a game up in the warehouse with um, like bits of old um, fence post and huge balls of packing material that got the sack for that 
Um, <laughs> worked in the co-op. Me too. Um, got the sack for um, on the till. The, so the, the 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 conveyor belt thing is controlled by your foot underneath. There's a little foot pedal. Didn't know that. That's pretty in fancy. The, <laughs> drivers, yeah. In the co-op in the Brighton at that time. And I was just so bored mm. that uh, without really even thinking about what I was doing, I put a biro nib down onto the sort of rubber grey conveyor belt, which just felt nice anyway. It was like a perfect mm. drawing surface. And then I just put my foot on the conveyor belt and the biro was drawing on the conveyor belt. <laughs> <laughs> and then I just sort of... Uh, moved the biro up like that just slightly up very very slowly and that was creating a sort of mad curvy wavy yeah, line yeah, so then I just drew all over this conveyor belt <laughs> this mad curvy wavy line and got the sack and um, had you sort of zoned out when you did completely it? Not zoned, aware I was that... not thinking at all I don't know what was going on <laughs> I was just uh, watching these, this line develop from because I wasn't moving I was just like moving my arm up and down. It's like being on acid, but watching these lines come out, it's like, whoa, this is amazing. You should set up a system like that here, a little conveyor belt yeah. here. That would be great fun. That's like Spirograph on steroids. Uh, this is like checkout steroids. Table, right? Yeah, this is about checkout. <laughs> yeah. Whenever recording is checkout size, you could set one up on here. I um, certainly would like to use one of those. Oh, it was really amazing, yeah. When I got the sack. Oh, and also I'd written a poem on a... On a uh, on a, a cleaning cloth about how much I hated working at the co-op, and I, um, I, I never wore socks. The, these were the three <laughs> reasons I got for getting the sack at the co-op. Um. The best, the best job I ever had, also has the best getting sacked story. Okay. It was in the um, in the summer holidays while I was studying between the before the second year, I got a job as a I was the guy on on a golf course that got to drive around in a in a in a golf buggy mm. and tell people to speed up their game or slow down. <laughs> <laughs> that was my job. Uh. And um, and I just watched Caddyshack and was Amazing. totally obsessed with Bill Murray. So I sort of um, I I got I've still got my visor in there. I used to do it with a Las Vegas. <laughs> visor on smoking a cigarette um like looking like Hunter S. Thompson basically really? driving around in this golf buggy yeah. going slow down speed up <laughs> just whizzing off in my golf buggy and I got the sack because this thing can go fast yeah, yeah. like they're speedy and this golf course was impeccable and I was speeding along and the grass was so perfect and it was such a beautiful day that I didn't see there was there was basically a a drop off like a ledge like a big incline in the in my path so just driving along like this thought I was going along a flat surface and then it, my golf cart just launched off of this <laughs> off of this ledge and landed in the ground like at an angle and the windscreen which is made of plastic popped out one of those it's really high and tall yeah. it popped out went on the ground and then I drove over the windscreen and broke it in two so then I had to pick up both halves of the windscreen put them in the back of the golf buggy and drive back 
and um, I got I got the sack for, <laughs> for breaking the <laughs> for breaking the where, where was the screen. Now, it, I th- that, that was when my parents lived in Leighton Buzzard. Okay. Leighton Buzzard? I think that's, yeah. Eaton Bray, somewhere around there. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So amazing. <laughs> that's incredible. <laughs> yeah. That's funny, though. You, you, I, I also remember the, being in those jobs at the time and just feeling like, God, this is the end of my... This is where I'm going to be for the rest of my life. Yeah. And now, look, we just sit around and we're like... <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, yeah. I, clean, I was a cleaner at, um, at Morrison's at night, just me and this weird guy called Alan, who <laughs> looked like a cartoon. Just me and him cleaning Morrison's from 10 at night until 8 in the morning. I did love. I did a few night jobs like that, and I did quite like them. So at, at supermarkets at night, I, I yeah, love supermarkets. When they yeah. leave them open, and you kind of you can go in there on your way back from somewhere. Yeah, and they it is it's kind of weird. Yeah, and the Big Lebowski had that amazing scene at the beginning where he's walking around in his dressing gown oh, in the yeah. supermarket, yeah. Smith sniffing milk. Yeah, and yeah, that's that a fusion of that scene in that film and my my experiences working in super. <laughs> Supermarkets are my favourite now, especially the Morrisons down the road because they, they, um, (laughs) 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 Um, a little while ago I went to the doctor, I because I had a um, sort of well I was very very depressed and I had something wrong with my toe and had all of these little complaints and the doctor said, "Have you ever been tested for like Asperger's or, or autism?" And I said. No, but that's funny you should say that because there are some aspects of my personality which are quite aspergery. So they put me on this waiting list to, I'm still waiting, like a four-year-long four adult diagnosis sure. list. Okay. So there's a good, a good chance that I'm somewhere on the spectrum. Anyway, Morrison's down the road <laughs> on Sunday... What they do for people with Asperger, Asperger's and autism is that they turn all the lights down and they turn the music off, so it's a re- it's per- it's absolutely perfect for it. like they they keep it like that for the morning, right? And and it is amazing. It's a beautiful um, it's a beautiful way to be in a supermarket, especially especially if you're sensitive to lights and sound and you know moving. Pit. But the best thing about it is that everyone else in the supermarket is Asperger's or autistic. So I've never seen such a. a collection of interesting uh, the way that we shop is different we, we, we no one gets in each other's way it's like they all have a route they know exactly where they're going yeah, yeah. they eat the same food uh, every day you know it's just like perfect like robot ants you know yeah, yeah. programmed to avoid each other <laughs> just like wow I love this shopping experience so what was the question I can't that was, that was amazing. no that was Oh, it's crappy I jobs. I didn't know that any supermarkets no, did that. Yeah, that was pretty amazing. Head of the curve. And so your first commercial work was a trio of Star Wars illustrations, is that right? Um, the, that was the first thing that I'd done that I was happy with. The first, okay. the first thing I would show. <laughs> right. No, my first job was for... Um, uh, the band Gomez. Alright, okay. okay. What did you do for them? I did the I did the album cover to their 
maybe third album, which is called Split the Difference, and then I did all of their singles. Um, yes, and I met them and was, you know, just an asshole. <laughs> I invited myself to one of their weddings. I just, I just thought I'd made it, you know. I even the first time I met because they played at the Concord too, yeah, in Brighton, and they invited me to go and go backstage because I'd done all their artwork and posters and t-shirts and all the rest of it. And I took my friend Dan and me and Dan got shit faced before we, we were so excited in the pub and we were, <laughs> think we would think going like what can we do what's the best way to meet them like how do you go up to them and go hi yeah I'm you you know and we came up with this idea of just walking up to them you know that song of theirs um, Whipping Piccadilly yeah and it has that bit in the middle with so we decided to walk up to them and going and then we got up to them and we're like alright <laughs> no, no, there's nothing. There's no smiles or anything. Right. <laughs> Bad ideas. No, uh, I did something for Fiat cars, and I don't know. What didn't you like of... about these things? Are they just not your style, or you just didn't feel like it was? Well, the the album covers and the, the Gomez thing was pretty cool. I I really enjoyed that. I just worked on it like drawings, but then after a while, it was like, oh, well, we need this for the single. And it needs to be kind of in the same tone as mm. this. And that, I found that difficult. So I'd just done this drawing that they used for the album. And then it was a gatefold. And they used a different drawing for that. And they were like, so we need the stuff for the singles now. I was like, oh, okay, I'll just keep drawing. They're like, no, no, it needs to be sort of something to do with the song. And so I was like, oh, okay. So first, my first experience of rules. Yeah. Rules for drawing. Um and then that, and then I got a job for Fiat after that, which was nothing but rules, which was oh. really awful. That Star Wars thing was one of those beautiful editorial, no pay, right? Three double page spreads. The theme is Star Wars. Go, you know. So I was really happy with yeah that because I just I'd never watched Star Wars at that point, <laughs> so I just did what I I knew of all the characters. I did what I. Th- my version of how those characters might interact. Okay. Are we, are we able to put those pictures online? Do you have those that we could put online? Of course. I mean, they're extremely old. They're, I've got them somewhere. Yeah. I mean, probably. especially the party at the end is. The Darth Vader playing yeah. his. I mean, because um, that's what it builds to, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to Darth Vader's house. <laughs> and Yoda's, <laughs> Yoda's asleep, drunk. That's right. And, yeah. yeah. Amazing. And Darth Vader is providing the music on his lightsaber which he's playing as a yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see where I can find it have you seen Star Wars since? well now I um, yeah so I, if when I go to the hut to, to paint um, there's no Wi-Fi up there and I keep forgetting to download more films onto my laptop that will work without the Wi-Fi and so the only films that I've got which I can watch without Wi-Fi are um, the six Star Wars films. <laughs> so I just watched them on repeat. And Ben came in the other day when I was watching Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. And he went, 
Oh, Jim, this is this is a problem. You need to lose those. Last <laughs> I think it was, three. it was somewhere in our research. You'd said that um, you like working with films in the background that you've seen lots of times, so that you can kind of reimagine the the visuals. Yeah, I, I do. I don't know why. I, I sort of breaking out of that a bit. I thought I can't fall asleep. I watch um, Only Fools and Horses when I fall asleep. <laughs> I can't fall asleep unless I'm watching either Blackadder, Red Dwarf, or Only Fools and Horses. So that just goes on. Yeah. And and I just watch it for about three minutes. There's something know all the lines. about watching those things. Yeah, you know, all, you know exactly <laughs> yeah. what's happening. And at a certain Doesn't point, I can just turn around and go, yeah, I know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. You're kind of a culture junkie. Would you Would you agree with that? Um, I guess so. I just I just love TV and films and uh, I love I yeah I I suppose because your work features so many different references from music and film and cartoons and different eras of fashion. There are certain shoes, yeah. things like this. Do you do you choose to put these things into your compositions or do you draw these like there's one with fuzzy bears on the TV for instance. Yeah. Was that a conscious decision? Do you sit down beforehand and go, oh, and I'm going to put Fozzie Bear on the TV? Yeah, I remember doing that one. That's the one of Paul McCartney, yeah. McCartney isn't it? Um, or do you just almost automatically draw certain things? Or is there a plan? Um, so, it's kind of like I have a, a limit. When I'm, if I'm building a scene, like I just did this stuff for Moog synthesizers. I did a big poster oh. for them. And um, and it was it was really lovely brief, really open. But they they kind of knew what they wanted to. They knew the feeling they wanted to create, and it was about nostalgia and um, sort of like um, you know that thing we were talking about before, like tech that's open and you can see it, but it's yeah. kind mm. of analog and. Um, and so I just have a limited amount of stuff that I know how to start communicating that and it all comes from what what I like or what I'm comfortable with and then and then you're and then you're just filling that space up with things like what's the floor like what sort of floor would I like would if, if I could have any floor in this place for example what would I have oh it would be like parquet flooring <laughs> but in a beautiful repeated Pat, color pattern and uh, what would the rug be like oh well there'd be just a big smiley face on it and like um what would be on the tv well what would paul mccartney be watching on the tv he wouldn't probably be watching it but it would be something musical something kind of kiddie something fu- you know so like the muppets and who's the best muppet that goes in that corner it compositionally as well you got, before i draw it i'm thinking about the color of the of the whole thing as well. In that left-hand corner, I know it's going to be like a big red table and a purple wall. So Kermit doesn't work there because he's green. So Fozzy, who's like orange and blue behind it. I'm not like doing it. That's not real time. This is all like... But is it done quite... It's all... Subliminally. It's all thinking. I'm thinking about it in that way. What would fit there and how. Um, But this is all happening sort of quite quite fast quite sort of intuitive intuitive you can see they're really intuitive mm. the drawings it looks like they unfolded 
with yeah. very little in the way of you really trying to force anything in there. It's, it seems that everything has a perfect place. Nothing's cobbled together. They just feel like they've naturally grown. Yeah, what goes there? That's the I keep thinking. That, that's a good question. That I keep up. What goes here? What goes in this space now? A tree. What kind of tree? Is it like a crit? I just like and then. If I if I ever think what goes here in this space over a tree, my the first tree I think of is a Christmas tree. I don't. Know, <laughs> I, don't know why. I think it's because then you've you've got more decisions to make about what's on the Christmas tree. Yeah, what yeah. are the baubles like? Is there tinsel? Is it that string of lights? And a, I don't know. So every decision like, leads on to other. Yeah, yeah, it can do. It can because yeah. it's not like with me and with some other sort of creative people you'll find ways to do something as simple as possible with as little work as possible as that minimalist kind of thing. Whereas when you see something, it then leads on to more creative decisions. And I guess that's how you can manage to so naturally fill a space like that is that you, it's yeah, almost like it that. grows organically. You can see the enjoyment in mm. the work as well. It's I enjoy making, I mean, it's kind of a control thing as well. It's like, I've got this, I'm building this space, you know, I can put whatever I want in this space. And I've tried, I've, tried, I've, I've done it here as well. I mean, you know, that I have no, there's toys everywhere and there's, you know, like there's a, there's a, a there's a picture of Pluto that I cut out of a <laughs> book and just blue tacked to the wall above a plastic smurf and a poppy. You know, I just like, you can make, you're building these spaces and you can make any decision you want to put whatever you want, wherever you want. I just really love that feeling. You talked earlier as well about clashing two things together. Yeah. Um, which sometimes you can see, you don't put the obvious things in a space. You're like, what would go here? And then, I don't know, like a giant brogue with a rat hanging out of it or something yeah. like that. Yeah. You know, it's never things that you would put together. So it's clashing things together, but then you've kind of created this language of different things that come together so, as so well. So that's a, that's a composition problem that, that I like solving too. Like I know something needs to go in the foreground here. It needs to be sort of, it needs to be a big uncomplicated shape that I know will be a block color that says foreground. And when I think, I, I just have like like a shoe. It's such a beautiful shape, and it's totally. all one color. Yeah. You know, obviously, not all shoes are all one yeah. color, but, <laughs> but it can be. Yeah. And then within that, there's a space that you okay. can put something Same with in. the Christmas tree. What goes right. on? What goes in the shoe? Yeah. And yeah. that's funny as well, isn't it? There's a comedy element to. Here's a giant brogue. Now it will be maybe one, two colors. Yeah. What am I going to put in that? And that's instantly funny, regardless of what goes in that shoe something funny is going to go in there. Whatever you put in there, really. Right, yeah, unless um, it's a foot, but then you can cut it off <laughs> <laughs> and show the bone. <laughs> or, is, or, or is it a bone? It might not, but what's inside the leg? It might be a pencil sticking out as a... I'm doing a little magazine cover, actually, at the moment, and, I'm, and it's a, it's, I don't get to choose what it's about, but it's about theatre, and that's the worst thing ever. It's full of, like, tropes and clichés. First thing we talked about was, like, the sort of... The comedy masking that's the, the theatre cliche everywhere, you know, the, <laughs> yeah. the tragedy comedy. But then Dan said, 
just do a broken leg, a snapped leg. <laughs> and I would love to be able to pitch that, but I could. This, this is a tasteful sort of community style magazine. Maybe, maybe the legs tripped over a happy sad mask. <laughs> so you're talking about like this snapped leg with the bone coming out of it. That's. I would love to just do a snapped, broken leg. It's meant to be. Nobody would get it. We'd have to explain it. Well, the. Um there's a like, I remember that, that I remember the first time I started thinking about um, spaces that have things in them that perhaps shouldn't be there it was an Elvis story that I read that he I'm not sure if it's true but um, when he was right at the peak of his stardom and everything had kind of fallen away and he was going back to Vegas and doing his comeback tours and stuff and he was enormous he had um, he had complained that toilet paper no matter what the quality of the toilet paper it was it was causing him discomfort and so he he asked one of his entourage what's the smoothest thing that you can think of <laughs> that I could use to wipe my ass and they were like rabbits ears goosenecks and went goosenecks <laughs> and he had a basket of goosenecks oh next to his toilet that he would pick, pick up. <laughs> Can you imagine just a sort of limp, I mean, it's feathery kind of... tube that then he oh. would wipe his bottom with and discard? And I was just thinking, what does that look like in his bathroom to yeah. anyone else other than him? Yeah. That makes absolutely no sense. But to Elvis, it's like, yeah. Sink, <laughs> goosenecks, toilet, you know? Yeah. You've got guests over and they go into... It makes this. sense that to one person. Mm, yeah. That's what I like about that. You can go into a room and go like, Jesus Christ, this is a weird room. But to the person who lives in that yeah. room, it makes total well, sense. Well, like your mm. grandmother's house. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, but the thing is... I'm not sure it even made sense to her, bless her. But there was a, there was a sort of logic in in doing it that way. Did she have regular furniture? Sorry, I had to ask this no, earlier. No. I didn't. Did she, she have regular furniture? Yeah. She well, she had she had a mini bar that, that was <laughs> that was really well stocked, but she was not a drinker, so that made no sense. And then there was a TV in the other corner that had two stuffed dogs, two small stuffed dogs that she'd never owned when they were alive, and they were just looking at you. While you were watching the TV, face—that's amazing. Yeah. She just bought these dogs, and just like I'm imagining, like this dark black wall, and then just a regular sort of floor Table, style chair, yep. couch yep, and yep. Or sofa. Yeah. Um, wow. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, that was an accidental <laughs> callback. <laughs> We're having loads of fun recording the No Ideas podcast. Thank you so much for joining us along the way. If you like it, subscribe on iTunes or Acast. Make sure to tell your friends. Follow us on Instagram and SoundCloud. And remember, there's always extra images and extra information on our website to accompany each show. And um, So can you talk to us a little bit about the Find My Welly project? Uh, well, it, um, I can. Um, it's um, it's. Um, I, I wasn't really involved in the in the. It was it was. 
I, I don't know. I, maybe... So it was written by Matt Everett, mm. from, uh, who is a journalist on Six Music, and, and, I, and I recently, not recently, but after we'd worked together, found out that he was um, the drummer in Menswear. Yeah, we used to play gigs with Menswear back Did in you? the 90s. I yeah. didn't know that until In Camden. We... <laughs> and we hung out with him and Chris Gentry. He probably wouldn't remember us for shit, but the guitarist Chris Gentry, and I remember the Johnny, Johnny the singer. We all... Yeah. Yeah, anyway, sorry. I only, found out that, I only found out that he was the we were being doing a, an interview on a radio show and the person who was hosting the radio show introduced Matt and said he used to be the drummer of menswear and I was like what hold on had <laughs> 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 to start again that's when you found out yeah I was like what the <laughs> fuck he never told me that he oh, doesn't yeah. talk about He's it like, I thought lot. he knew like no <laughs> did you, so did you did you work quite closely with him on this um, not as close as I would have liked. He's a really nice guy. We met we met a few times after the book had finished, and we um, had to do some interviews together. And um, there was like a launch party for it. And I think he's I think he's really a, a, mate, a lovely man. Um, but the whole process was kind of all, all over emails, and it was a very that was a difficult book to work on it's very very prescriptive um there was just huge lists of um points to hit like matt was very very specific about the not only the the landscape that would be used for each festival can you just describe a little bit so it's yeah. just for the it's a um it's a it's basically a it's a look and find um book sort of like where's wally uh, called where's my welly um and the idea is that it's a trip through um all different um iconic music festivals throughout the years so from the start of glastonbury through to coachella and Bestival and um woodstock and all these other festivals all busy scenes and then it goes all the way up to Modern day Glastonbury, that's where the book ends. Where actually, my, the band that I was in at the time, Owen, the, Owen and the Eyeballs, I drew us playing on the pyramid stage. Amazing. Amazing. They, they, they never saw that, they never brought that up. Um, and, you, and you have to go through the book, and you're supposed to, there's something like 15 to 20 celebrities in each spread that you're supposed to look and find. Um, and it was just an intent. It was intense because Matt was very specific about the the like the angle of the of yeah. the, wet, the, the viewpoint even of so we want to be looking at the stage from like as if we're hovering above just up on the left and we want Daft Punk to be like really really specific and we and then there are all these celebrities you have to mix in the crowd mm. so it was really not I was not used to doing it I wasn't used to drawing portraits I wasn't used to planning an image in that way before I started it, it was right. a real mind bender actually but I'm pretty I'm quite proud of it it's a, it's a good book but it's it was intense yeah I actually had another um, <laughs> dip after that <laughs> just because it was it was like a year of solid um, following instructions essentially yeah. you've said that after that you poured your think maybe these are your words your madness into your sketchbooks yeah is that the wrong word is no that's that? right okay. yeah I, um, I, it stopped I, it stopped me dead I just couldn't figure out how to 
I'd forgotten how to draw for fun after that project. So you, is that kind of therapy then, the sketchbooks, do you think? Uh, I don't know what it is. I just know, I, I mean, I've only just started work going back, working in a sketchbook again. I, I, that's a little bit, um, I, ha I, I decided that, I decided that there was so much um, going into my sketchbook that could actually be used for something other than once it's in my sketchbook it's a nice thing to keep and, and people like looking through them there's not very many ways you can use it so I decided to I, t I took a risk essentially and just said okay no more sketchbook work and let's just hope that all of that work still comes out but somewhere else wow okay <laughs> um did it did it work out yeah it worked life? yeah it did work um and I found myself taking risks with clients and saying, "Actually, no, I don't want to. I don't want to do what you're thinking. I want to do this. How do you feel about that?" Amazing. Well, that's, that's what happens when you've earned your when well, you people sure come I to you for your it. style. The, the people, I, I, I just sort of couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. I couldn't do this. We really like this. Can you do something that's that's that again? And I just had to sort of start saying no um but mostly have they been amenable to that um yeah i i yes i think on the whole they have and some and i don't do it all the time i mean but every now and then i'm just like i you know this it'd be so much better if i could just do what i do here and see what happens um and then i started making um I I just got into this whole thing of like I want to I want to do all sorts of different work. I don't maybe I don't want it all to be drawing. Maybe I want to do you know, I like doing collage. I know I like doing collage. I like I w I've always wanted to paint. I like I like um kids drawings, you know? That so that mm, painting up there is by yeah. my godson. So sort of a fruit bowl. And it's just you know it's beautiful yeah, and it's completely it's mad. And yeah. I want I want to bit of that in my work somewhere that that's that's hard to attain that level of looseness and expressive absolutely because that's when you're that's when you're, finished to a kid right, right. yeah we'll absolutely. get we'll get a picture so that yeah. anyone listening mm. can but it, that's what i love about kids paintings and kids drawings is yeah like, that's they've represented what they wanted to represent and it's done it's done it's loose it's it didn't really take much time to plan so i um or any time to plan so i started making these sketchbooks out of newsprint i would make i've got some of those in there as well see make like a, a zine out of newsprint staple it and then I would like fill one in a day really really quickly with marker pens and have like one like a theme per one and it would just kind of free me up and loosen me up and then I would get on with like a, cl a client job where I'd have to sort of tighten up again and respond to instructions and it was okay to do it once mm. I had this splurge beforehand so now I've yeah, now I've got this thing where I split my day up into three. I, I basically wake up, I have coffee, I go through my emails, I do any client work, sort of look forward to that being over so that then I can go to the studio, to the hut, and do a mad painting and watch Star Wars and then come back, <laughs> and, um, come back and draw in my sketchbook. Yeah, it's got this nice balance. Yeah, thing. yeah. But it, yeah, I haven't drawn in it for a while. Took, took a while to get back into it's nice it is therapy I think yeah it seems like you've always poured either avoided I shouldn't be like 
psychoanalyzing you. Um, Please do. You, you've, <laughs> like when you've been going through times that you've wanted to ignore when you were younger, you would focus on your sketchbooks. Or in other times when you've come out of a, a job where there's been a lot of rules, you'll then do something freeform that's yeah. almost like getting... You talk about like a backup of a certain type of energy or a certain... And then you just let that all out. It's yeah. amazing that you have that insight into yourself that you can let this stuff build up, then release it, and then you're okay again to sort well, of... I mean, that, that, that's, that's taken... Uh, like 15 years and and I've only just actually managed to figure that out I mean sometimes it's not even about oh I'm bored of intricate drawing oh I'm and now I want to do an experience sometimes it's just I'm actually just bored of making images so now I'm going to make some music it, but 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 it, no, noticing when I'm bored is that's the really hard part because my instinct is to just carry on until I'm not bored anymore and then I have massive breakdowns because I don't know if I'm bored or if I'm enjoying myself or if this is this good is this bad and oh I haven't spoken to anyone for four days <laughs> maybe I should sort that out oh no now I'm scared and what am I going to talk to them about like I'm bored of drawing but you know it's just like, <laughs> you know so I've just got to avoid all of that mm. just by going okay I'm bored of this now let's do something else I mean that's especially good if people do hear this and they something clicks in them where they're like actually maybe if I change things up a bit more it would stop me from going down certain avenues or getting stuck in sort of creative cul-de-sacs I yeah. don't know it's, 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 a dang, it's dangerous because it feels like the absolute worst thing to do at the time is to stop trying to solve the problem that you're trying to solve it feels like what you need to do is put more energy into solving that problem and which is the, the which is you driving on and do. on and on rather yeah. than stopping removing yourself and then saying actually maybe stopping this yeah. for a while or two yeah and have like five six different problems going on at the same time that you can sort of jump like um when Brian Eno was on the Adam Buxton mm -hmm. podcast he talked about how like <clears throat> setting up a a series of looping sounds and music on on a computer that would just repeat, uh, but all at different times. So not like they would all, there'd be a series of different loops all repeating at different stages and interacting with each other and making new sounds every time they loop. And he'd just do that, leave that playing for like an hour. Then he would go and do some admin and write letters whilst listening to this ever changing loop. And then get to a point with his letter writing or admin, and he'd go, "Yeah, that's, I'm just going to change this one thing about this loop." And then he'd go right back over there and change the soundtrack for the next mm -hmm. hour. And that's how he makes his music. He doesn't sit down and go, "I'm just focusing on my music." Yeah. He creates a soundtrack for himself to do other things to. Yeah, that's and when it's right, process. he releases it. Yeah. Um, how often do you get a chance to make music? I sort of do it once, I try and make a, an album of some kind once a year and I usually, usually happens because I'm bored of image making right. and I just take a period of time, it might just, it might be, it depends on what I'm trying to make so. I was going to say, can you describe what kind of music you make? Yeah, well the last album I make, made was, um, I was going to going to a therapist called Martha who's just a wonderful woman 
and she 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 suggested uh, this um, record called I've got it over there I can't remember what it's called New Ways of Thinking or something and I was like what is it and she said it's you know it's a soothing voice and like 70s synthesizer mm. music and it's just long and amazing uh, and I bought it and well, it was like, like <laughs> yeah it's really, I've got it over there it's really uh, I listened to it and I was like, this is good, but I'm not going to be able to like lie down and relax to this because there's this woman talking all the time <laughs> about like how you've got to relax and, and then and the soothing mood music yeah. in the background is pretty good, but it's, it's more like funny than relaxing. So I thought, okay, well, I'm going to make some music that I can lie down and, and sort of zone out to mm. and it needs to be... I, w- I kind of want it to be instrumental and sort of quite soothing and repetitive. So I just made this album of like, I don't even know what you call it, ambient electronic stuff, mm-hmm. just on Garage Band with whatever was available. So I knew what I wanted. I knew I wanted to make it for that reason, and I had a very very limited amount of tools. It was just, and I didn't know what I was doing. That's almost like the perfect. Yeah, you've got a good intention and you've got some tools you don't know how to use. Go, <laughs> you know. And I played around with that for about a month, and I made a nice album out of that, and put that up on my Bandcamp thing, and that was that done. And I used it to sort of meditate. And then um, is that the fruits? No, that's okay. um, that was with my friend Steve. Okay. So, um, so what's the the meditation style album the that's the... called um head bounce okay fruits is this thing where i have some friends who it's it's like they're just brilliant to hang out with but it's even better when you have something that you can do together mm-hmm. so we me and steve meet up or we worked on that thing for like three years and i would just go over to his house for a weekend and hang out with his wife and his kids and him and then we would go into his living room and just make music and then he would come here and we'd just like fill up this room with musical instruments Amazing. just like three years worth of weekends we came up with a an album together it was really brilliant and fun and then I've just made I just finished a, I, I made an, an album in a week I just wanted to bash one out and um, on my um, on, a, on, a, on, on my four track um, tape uh, recorder because I had one I had a four track tape recorder when I graduated from university that I borrowed from my friend Leon and I just hold myself away in my room and I made all of these recordings on it um, but I can't I, I've still got all the tapes but I can't play them any, on anything because I didn't know how to use the four track recorder so everything is really really just like that for hours right so i thought i've got to make something i can yeah actually listen to and i've got this tape machine now that i want to work with and um yeah i made an album on that hopefully that's going to get put onto a record next year because um, Macbeth you know Macbeth mm-hmm. he's Love got Macbeth. Um, he's got a Dead Pirates uh, is the name of his band that, that's the name of his well he's in a that's I think that's his old band I know okay. he, he makes music under the name Macbeth now nice and it's really um, 
his music's amazing. But they they started a record label up, and he said that. Oh, cool. They'll put it. They'll put it out next next amazing. year. So that's exciting. But it's just like you know, I get I get a period of time where I'm a bit bored. I know I kind of know I want to play around with something, and it's just nice to do something else for mm. a week. You were in a band with um, Ben Newman and Andrew Ray, right? Owen and the Icons. No, the Ben was Ben was never part of the band. He, um, I was in a band with Andrew Ray and Nick White. Okay. And Owen Gildersleeve. Okay. Yeah. And Nick White and Ben used to be in a band together, right? They had a song. I can't remember what they were called, but they had a song called Hulk Smash. Nice. Which I would have loved to have heard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we made some music together for a while, four of us. It was a similar thing, just a good reason to uh, hang out and um, make some noise and played some gigs. and Yeah, it was great. I don't, I, I, yeah, I got, bo- I got bored and caused a bit of a uh, a riff between all four of us which is thankfully healed now but uh, yeah I didn't handle it very well I was I was flying from Venice I was living in Venice at the time flying to London so that we could rehearse uh, for kind of no reason <laughs> <laughs> and then we were talking about making a record and we we paid money to go to a recording studio and then we were going to pay money to put put it on vinyl but I just didn't have any money and it was all becoming a bit sort of complicated and I just yeah I should have just I should have uh, handled it a better way. How long did you live in Venice for? Uh, two years. Um, after after Columbia my girlfriend's from Venice so we okay. um, we just decided to go there because it's beautiful and we've got some good friends there and yeah we just thought maybe we could make it work there I tried to try to buy a place there I had to keep my teaching job in Brighton so I could get the mortgage uh, in in Venice so I flew from Venice to Brighton once a week um, stayed over in the Premier Inn at Gatwick Airport Got the train to Brighton the next day, and then after Brighton, got the train to Gatwick Airport and flew back to Venice. Did that once a week <laughs> and spent all of the money that I was <laughs> earning teaching on getting my job. <laughs> so that was quite tiring. How did you enjoy? Li- did you enjoy living in Venice? I did. Yeah. I mean, it was. Uh, I had another wobble there. I mean. <laughs> There's a lo- there's a lot of challenges. The main one was language. Um, did you did you pick up much Italian? I I picked up some. I can I can I'm definitely better now. I can speak it a bit, but it's the, it. But I I can understand um, more than I can speak, and it's definitely easier to speak once you've had a few glasses of wine. Um, <laughs> Which is good because drinking wine is uh, an enormous part of living in Venice. I mean, you, Venice breakfast is wine and some delicious um, tramezzino little sandwich, and then you go to another wine bar and have some <laughs> wine, and uh, you know it's just great. I some lunchtime it. wine. Yeah, it's it's a lovely place. We just couldn't we just couldn't figure out how to stay there permanently. How that was actually going to work. 
So, so was it after that that you moved down to Hastings? Yeah, yeah. It was sort of an emergency, really, because we had to. We had to. Once the once the flat fell through in Venice, we had to figure out where we were going to go. Are we going to rent another place in Venice, or are we just going to and continue to like commute to the UK once a week, or should we not do that anymore and <laughs> just move back to the UK? So. Um, and I, I've wanted to live here for a while, and the people have moved down here, and yeah, it's you know, it's the way it goes. I'm going to try and shoot on <clears throat> Ben Newman in this is the yeah. second the second yeah, time. So he'd already moved here just before you, right? Yeah, he and moved. you sort of collaborate with him a bit, and you share a studio with him. Yeah, can you tell us a bit about your friendship with Ben? He seems to come up a lot in a lot of stuff that you, yeah. you do. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, when we uh, before all the travelling began, um, everyone was in London, and me and Ben uh, shared a studio with um, Owen and two other people called Ellie and Pete. And um, I don't quite know how it happened. I think we were just like we we really like going to the pub and talking with our friends and it just got a bit difficult to organize that for some reason even though we all live really really close together it was difficult to get everyone to come out at the same time so we just decided to we started a a podcast and arranged the time to meet our friends in our studio with a bottle of whiskey and we so we started (laughs) this podcast and that was fun um and it sort of yeah, we just got. We're. I don't know. We're really. We're just close. He's a good. I love him. He's weird. He's really. <laughs> he's really weird. He's sort of. Um, I don't. Just the way he talks. Like some. If you. He loves talking about films. I would go and see all the Marvel films together. Mm. And he'll do these sort of really professional standard critiques that um, are always quite impressive and and like inappropriate for like you're just walking down the road and he's doing like this whole thing about lighting and characters and and how close it is to the comics and then and then and then you know I get to my front door and I have to go bye it's like oh no you know, and like when we're when we're in the oh so we've got this studio together um, me and Ben and Jay Cover from News Booze because uh, he lives down here too and the three of us share this um, um, a hut we call it the hut and we decided the three of us that we were all quite um, um, there was lots more going on in our minds than we were allowed to do for our jobs and we were all frustrated that we didn't have a space to get that stuff out so um, yeah we, we, we this this space that we've all got is um, a place that we go to we're not allowed to do any commercial work in there at all there's no Wi-Fi um, it's just a place to go and have fun and make a mess and there's no reason to do it it's uh, there's no pressure it's just do what you want when you want and it's been 
I found it so useful. I, it, that sounds amazing. Yeah, it quite it's really freeing, great. like not having the Wi-Fi. Was it hard at first? Nope. Really, you just settled into, <laughs> and you enjoy that lack of being able to be contacted, or yeah, because it's a. Um, as soon as you, I mean, I've. I think I'm the one out of the three of us who's managed to build it into my routine the best. Ben's got two kids, and 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 the hut is in his garden. Okay. Um, but doesn't get to go there as much as he'd like. Um, uh, and Jay has an allotment that he um, keeps with um, Iona, his girlfriend, which is beautiful. And he's just busy all the time on cli on client projects, so he doesn't get to go there as much as he'd like. But I've figured out I'm busy but I'm not busy so busy that I can't go there and I don't have kids or and my girlfriend isn't here so you know I'm just like mm. I've got this window that I can I've got the freedom to build it into my routine and um no it's amazing because you go for you I only go for like two hours a day you just say two hours the length of Star Wars episode one. <laughs> once Star Wars, time it. yeah. Once Star Wars, what's what? Once Revenge of the Sith finishes, <laughs> um, put down the paintbrush and lock it up and go home and do some. So work. and so, you don't see it as completing a, a sort of task for painting. You just nope. you get there and you'll just paint for as long as that. Yeah, that's cool. And if I finish a painting, I take it down and I put a new one up and I start. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, really are, you often, are you often there at the same time as each other, or is it mostly kind of a space where you're there on your own? Or? I'm, at the, recently, it's been I've been there on my own. Right. Um, but when we are all there all together, I tend to put it on Inst Instagram Live and I oh, film okay. it, and we, I interview interview them about what they're doing, and it's amazing. very very repetitive yeah. and silly and. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's just great, and there's a you know there's a bar sort of across the garden. So Sundays is my favourite day uh, ever. I have a Bloody Mary here, utilising my extensive bar, and then I go to the hut and I have lots of Bloody Marys there and paint, and then I have Sunday lunch, and I come back or go to the pub. I'm living the dream. It really is a dream. Sundays anyway. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Sundays. Yeah. But building it into into my routine is the important yeah. part. I think that, that we've talked about this before. Yeah. About like, once something's part of your routine, it's hard to remove it. But when you're just sort of a bit fly by night with things and you do it a little bit and then you don't, that's when it just falls off your radar quite quickly. So Right, and you have this whole guilt thing of like oh, I'm not going to the I'm not using that space or I should use that space mm. Jay told me recently about something called I can't remember how he termed it so it was something sim simple like the shoulds mm. like this really dangerous family of words that live in your mind that, that, that are the things that you're telling yourself you should be doing and how destructive that is and Jay's great. Like they're really, they're they're both brilliant. I have different conversations with, but Jay is like really super um, self-reflective, quite psychologically driven. But likes to talk about how he's thinking and mm. feeling, and I love that too. Ben is like talking to um, a ten-year-old who just loves. <laughs> 
loves his kids, loves the books that he's making, loves films. Uh, they're, they're both just brilliant. They're lovely people. You'll get to meet them after this. Fantastic. Sounds great. Yeah. I'd love to come up on a Sunday, actually. That, <laughs> yeah, sounds, right. that sounds amazing. <laughs> that wasn't an option recording this on Sunday, was it? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Um, like maybe we're not allowed in on the Sunday routine. <laughs> <laughs> we might ruin it. Yeah. All our blathering. Anyone's um, welcome. And um, so you spoke at the Picto Plasma conference in Berlin last year, is that right? Can you tell uh, us how, was it last year? Two years ago, maybe? Two years ago. Mm. Um, can you tell us how that came about? Yeah. <laughs> do you already know? I do know okay. the story, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I went through a period of time where um, I was feeling extremely competitive with all of my friends who are also illustrators and artists looking at what they're doing and then trying to desperately say that I have done the same thing right. by so I saw Andy Rementa had done mm -hmm. uh, Pictoplasma and I was like fucking bastard <laughs> <laughs> how did he get that <laughs> so I uh, got the contact um, uh, and wrote to them and said um, I'd love to hello, I'd love to do pictoplasma, just like an, an insane email, you know. No, I, can I do it, please? You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then didn't hear back. And, um, and then like six years passed. And essentially what happened was that I changed my email address a number of times in between. So I had email accounts that were lying dormant but still picking up emails right. that I didn't know about. And when I redesigned my website, I went through all of my email accounts to find contacts that I could say, hey, I've redesigned my website. And I found this email <laughs> um, from six years previous saying, sure, could come to Pictoplasma. <laughs> so I had, to, I had to write back to them and say, oh, I'm sorry for the six-year delay. Um, can I still come and do Pictoplasma? Yeah. And luckily they said yes. Amazing. Was that the biggest talk you've done, Pictoplasma? Uh, that was the second talk I had done. Oh, I'd, wow, done okay. I'd done one at Reasons, Reasons okay. 2 in Brighton, Yeah. Um, which wasn't very enjoyable because I wasn't feeling good about my work or who I was or where I was. So to go from that to talking at Pictoplasma was f fucking huge. Yeah, it was really... Um, but I fed off of that. I, I, it was like... Um, I had no... I had, a, I had a, um, uh, a keynote and I had all of the images, but I had no idea what I was going to say. And the standing on the stage in that, in that order, to, it's like a beautiful theatre. It just like... It just... Something you have to do something good in that space. I used to do stand-up comedy and it was sort of like a Maybe. similar similar feeling. You you get up in front in front of people who you don't know and they are expecting something from you and there's some kind of beautiful panic that happens then where you you have to do something mm -hmm. and if you're going to do something it has to be something that you're happy with. That's all happening like in that moment, which is I find really exciting, mm. and it makes me perform. Mm -hmm. 
I listen to quite a few like stand-up uh, podcasts, and they talk about like processing that live in front of people, and I just can't even imagine. It's a strange yeah. energy, but it's really, it's sort of addi- it's really addictive. Yeah, actually. like working jokes out on the fly with the audience there just seems. I never had jokes. Insane. I did. I right. didn't. I couldn't tell jokes. I would just speak about how I was currently feeling. Right. When when in your life did you do this stand up comedy? <laughs> um just after um just after I broke up with my ex-girlfriend. Right. Um and my friend Tom who I did the Pillow Talk podcast right. with, <laughs> um said you need to do something because you're fucking depressing and I you, you need to get out and do something that's going to make you feel good. So I booked you into a uh, wow. <laughs> I booked you into a five minute stand up slot yeah. we're going to do it uh, tonight now so we went and I did it and I was like thank you that's amazing that's wow good move Tom did Tom do it as well nope <laughs> <laughs> he just fucks me yeah it was brilliant there's um so there's a really good interview with um the actor Peter O'Toole you know he said that uh, I think he's talking to Parkinson he said that there was a he's got two good stories actually which are sort of relevant to that weird energy that you feel when you're on the stage the first is that because he was such a heavy drinker he would go on stage piss as a fart um, because he was just living his luge life and Mm. kind of enjoying the romance of being a you know a piss artist I suppose at the height of his game and sometimes he was so drunk he said that the words that he had to remember for his role would come over this like a hill one at a time and he'd be terrified that they were going to stop so he'd be like going through the words as they were appearing one at a time really scared that they were going to just stop and he would not remember his lines and the other story he has uh is that he went to he went to the theatre he had a drinking buddy that I can't remember his name Richard something another actor went to the theatre with this other guy Richard fuck what's his name played um, did he play King Lear he played it's a Richard Harris yeah Richard Harris okay, yeah. good man went to, they used to they bought a pub once at four in the morning in Ireland just to, <laughs> just to make just to make sure it stayed open they just bought the Neither. pub <laughs> isn't that brilliant he said that they went to the theatre together once and um, st- steaming sitting in the uh, in the audience watching this play and then Peter O'Toole sort of um, got all excited and he nudged Richard Harris and said this bit's really good because um, this is where I come on and and then he just was like oh fuck and he just had to run out of the audience and get on the stage <laughs> <laughs> oh, amazing fucking hell <laughs> but I love that because that really encapsulates it is terrifying but it's exciting as well I, love, I do like that feeling being on stage and being in the moment because you don't have time to overthink everything you just have mm. to be reactionary yeah and not worry too much about how it's all coming across. So the time between thinking and delivering something is so shortened that only the good stuff goes in. There's a book called Blink by Malcolm Gladwell where he talks about the stuff that happens 
in the glint of an eye when you have to act quickly right. and how different the brain is to when you've got all the time in the world to labour over flight, something. Sort of. Yeah, mm. that's exactly it. Mm. Um, so we are now going to do the quick fire question. Oh, excellent, good. Which uh, <laughs> it's always it's always a, it's always a, a nice, nice thing. Does that mean that my answers have to be quick? No. Oh, okay. They don't, but like, if you wanted them to be, they could. But um, so if not, they don't have to be. They're yeah. just a little bit more silly than the question. Yeah, they're silly, okay, okay. and some of them are. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> which idea do you wish you'd thought of? <laughs> which idea do I wish I'd thought of? Velcro. <laughs> That's a good answer. Tiny hooks. Yeah. And on a sheet that how does it work because they <laughs> how do the how do you so all it is is there's a sheet of hoops and a sheet of hooks have you ever like tried to put a hook in a hoop when it's like hanging from yeah, the ceiling it's, weird, isn't it? it's so hard it's like it's like that thing that when you've got that stick with a circle in it and you have to like oh, right, and yeah. not get the electric on that thing yeah. it's really you have to be accurate so when you're doing up velcro you just go Rip. how are all those hooks hitting all those hoops I'm going to have to have a look at it on a microscopic level on YouTube I'm sure some YouTubers got a... it's a great idea yeah, yeah. we'll it's take an that it's incredible idea um, where do you get your crazy ideas from Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know my head <laughs> uh, what is your karaoke go-to? Ah, um, Ruby, don't take your love to town by uh, Kenny Rogers, or um, Saturday Night Drive-In by David Bowie. Nice. Have you got any karaoke stories? Oh, Drive-In Saturday. Sorry. Have you got so, any karaoke stories that you can tell us of times that you've done it? Uh, yeah, me and me, me and Mike. Perry did it once in uh, LA uh, and we sang uh, Puff the Magic Dragon um, and we, and we um, didn't, we made up all the words um, so we, we didn't, we weren't singing the same words <laughs> but we were both singing at the same time. Puff the Magic so the same Dragon tune. had a hairy chair and when it flew across the sea it went into a pair and he'd be singing something else uh, but, but, but Puff the Magic Dragon was always the yeah, bit yeah. that we were always right <laughs> um, is it, it's me next isn't it oh that's oh, yeah. that, that, that ended with Mike just going so after a while we're going Puff the Magic Dragon there's like 10 vo- verses yeah. after a while Mike just started going bananas 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 <laughs> <laughs> was this in a public bar? Uh, yeah, I've got yeah. it on film. So Amazing. Bananas. bananas oh, so it wasn't bananas. in a booth, it was actually up on a... It was on a stage, yeah. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> That's even better. Um, so uh, you have to choose one, music or art. Music is art. So art. <laughs> can, he, can he have that? You reckon yeah, that's could, a good answer, isn't that. it? Which person, either alive or dead, would you have over for dinner? Just one person. You can have a table full if you want. Oh, blimey. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's really hard. I, I, there's a, I, Is there anyone you'd like to ask question, a question? Yeah, there's to? loads of people. That's oh, is that why it's yeah, difficult? Yeah, yeah. Okay. 
Um, maybe Christopher Hitchens. You know Christopher Hitchens? Yeah. The um, God is not great writer. Yeah. What would you What would you talk about? What would you, what would you want to ask? I him? would just sit back and listen to him. I love hearing him talk. Plus, he's dead, so there's no. He doesn't talk anymore. But there's so much that I'd love to. I'd love to. He's a he's a weird one because I I like listening to him talk about religion and um, I like listening to him talk about. My, uh, he had, he just had a really good sense of humour and he was erudite and he was a drinker and he's kind of like the last romantic poet mm-hmm. I think. Also, just really, really um, sharp, well read, but then he also got he, he, he controversial really controversial because he supported the Iraq war for some reason and um, he had um, he got into trouble with um, female comedians once by sort of goading them saying they weren't funny um, he sort of j- just did all these strange things that don't seem to be linked They're, I mean such odd subject matter mm. But, um, yeah, I just think he was an interesting cat. And I think he'd be a good drinking uh, partner. What would you cook for him? Well, he once (laughs) said that... um, um, So he used to... He was quite a heavy drinker. But he said that... um, I love to drink as long as there's food to go with it. So he he would just sit and eat and drink and talk and sit and eat and drink and talk and smoke and read and eat and drink and talk so I think the I don't think it would matter what came uh, I wouldn't be cooking it because obviously I'd be talking to him otherwise he'd just be, he'd just be sitting there while I'm cooking that's what would a, you, what a would terrible you, night in. would you like order something or it would just be high quality probably um, small portions but very luxurious food I would nice. imagine that's what he'd be into Sounds good. Yeah. I don't know. I just think it would be fun just to sit and get into a big old debate with him and drink and just go at it. Yeah. I'd like that. Yeah. Amazing. Sounds good. Um, Have you ever seen a ghost? No. But um, (laughs) (laughs) my friend Freya told me a very scary story once that she used to live in... um, in the house that Pink Floyd lived in when they when Sid Barrett was still part of the band okay. in uh, in Highgate, and it's a be- it's a big house and she lived there with lots of other people, but the garden was extraordinary because they'd had it redesigned by an architect, mm. and it was a, quite a large garden but not massive and they basically walled made mini gardens with hedges. Uh, in this garden and each mini garden was like its own little environment anyway that's not the point <laughs> uh, the point is that she didn't know much about um, Pink Floyd I I recognised the house when mm. I saw it and wow, I said okay. this is the house that Pink Floyd used to live in when they were with Sid Barrett she'd like oh. <laughs> you know she's just like mm. anyway um, the second time I went to see her in this house, it was a beautiful summer day, and we were all sitting in the garden and drinking and eating picnic. And um, 
I said, so how are you, Freya? And she said, I'm f- I didn't sleep, I'm fine. I didn't sleep very well because there was something in my room. And I said, oh, w- was it a ghost? And she said, well, it was kind of, yeah. It was like there was things moving around on my floor and there was a sort of little red shining orb that c- came up through the floor and it was angry and frustrated and um, and then it just um, shot out. And, and, and I said, well, um, and it was... It was really weird because that it was the day that Sid Barrett had died. Oh, wow, okay. And she didn't know wow. who Sid Barrett oh, was. Okay. And I did. And I said, that must have been Sid Barrett. And she, she was like, who's that? And I was like, oh. <laughs> oh Where no. do we begin? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that was pretty weird. But I've never seen one. No. Right. Yeah, that's a good story. <laughs> <laughs> love a bit of Sid Barrett. Mm. Um and or his orb, his angry orb. Mm. Um, so this is the last question. Sid Barrett's angry orb. <laughs> and uh, this one is always, always another tough one. Like which idea you wish you thought of? Can art change the world? Yes. Done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course it can. Um, I mean, it's responsible for e- literally everything you see. And, and everything you see that's man-made is, it comes from some kind of art. So yeah, I mean, it it does change the world all the time. It's weird that it's not, um, it's not recognised to be that. Most yeah. people would no, say art is stuff on walls in galleries and things. Um, I mean, you know, there's something to that, but I, I don't think it stops there. So you mean it's like everything that pours out of our mind creatively is, I guess, I don't know. Uh, anything that you look, I mean, this room, that anything you look at is a, it's been designed, it's been created, there's been an idea behind it, like a car or a car park or, they've all been thought about, designed, made, had to create decisions made about them and they are some type of, not necessarily high art, but yeah. art, some kind of creative endeavour. And they would have Anything also made. come from nothing to being something. Mm. That's, right. what, that's what I through love, pro- that's what we do as right. humans. Through a process yeah. of like making it, changing it, seeing where it's going wrong. Like Everything you, that any, any, that isn't natural, in any part of any landscape is some kind of that's been created yeah uh, thank you so yeah, much thank no you. worries thanks, <laughs> it's been thanks, great. For, thanks for talking to me that was really good fun thanks to Tom Eno for the theme music our families for supporting us on this journey and most importantly you the listeners for tuning in and following our ventures with no ideas follow us on instagram and like and subscribe on itunes and leave us a comment if you can but only nice ones check out our website noideaspodcast.co.uk for the extra bits to accompany the shows we'll be back next month with more ideas